Hello and welcome to the final episode of 2021 for Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin here with my co-host of all co-hosts, Teos Abadia. Hey, Teos, how's it going? Hey, Sean, how are you? I understand you're on vacation. You're filming from a remote location and or maybe you're part of the like witness protection program. It's a, it's a little bit of both. Uh, it's yeah. a little bit of both. It's the witness vacation program. <laughs> Which is a little, you know, a, a smaller part of WITSEC. Uh, so, yeah. Nice. I'm on the uh, in-law hosting program. It's going very well. Yep. Yeah, I am doing things with the family, but I had to take time out to uh, to do this episode. You know, very important to me to, to get this done. So, since it is the last episode of 2021, we're going to eschew our normal format. And we're going to answer a Twitter question. And then we're going to talk about what we've seen in 2021 and what we're looking forward to for 2022. And the question from Twitter comes from Tyler Rasmussen uh, t- at Tyler Rice Muffin. And he asked, hey, Sean, I hope you're having a great holiday. If you don't mind, I've got a question for you. I'm an, I am an aspiring game designer. I feel I have really found my passion in creative writing and building worlds for others to enjoy. Uh, I'm wondering what your steps were into getting to where you are now and any advice for a path. I figure everyone's path is different, but any insight would be great. I'm currently planning to uh, go to college to minor in creative writing. I also have built an entire world for D and D. So uh, he appreciates any feedback and have a great holiday. So Tyler, this is a great question. This is a question I know that I get a lot and Teos gets a lot yeah. uh, about, you know, how to do in the industry, freelancing, full-time work and so on. And, you know, this question is timeless because the paths into the industry change as the years change. Um, you know, I got into it 20 years ago, sort of accidentally and, that was before streaming that was before Instagram that was before actual plays were being watched that's even before blogs were really a thing I mean we were talking like bulletin boards and the beginnings of (laughs) forums back then that was our way to talk to each other so you know in the last 20 years obviously things have changed completely so you know my path almost isn't worth talking about because (laughs) it's so different now you know, my path was volunteering for things like organized play, what, what's now the D&D Adventurers League, and going to conventions and running games for people and, and getting into it that way. The way to interact with people has obviously changed now. So the while the method has still changed, the things that you need to do are sort of similar. In, in what we're about to talk about. And you know, Teos and I will take turns here. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll start by just saying this. Whatever you want to do with this industry, whether it's creating rules or writing adventures or creating interesting content um, or you know becoming a personality and talking about role-playing games, just be good at what you do. You get good at what you do by studying it, by practicing it. Uh, you can study it formally, right? You can, if you want to be a, a vlogger or a streamer, you can go to school for, you know, video graphics, video design, whatever they're calling the major now. 
and and learn it that way or you can just learn it on your own but it takes time to do it right and it takes effort and it takes concentration so you study by reading creating discussing doing the thing you want to do and practicing it and then putting it out there for people to absorb um, yeah and then i'll add to this that um this this studying piece uh is is vital and it dovetails with what's really really important which is keep enjoying it right like mm -hmm. whatever you're doing like sean says be good at it but also be enjoying it and don't just do something because you feel you have to do it don't just be on instagram because you think it's happening uh be where you want to be where it's valuable for you to be try to be in many places try to you know have your work out there produce create don't get stuck and not create right like do the things but also be enjoying it and want to do it otherwise there's no point to it like enjoy the art of it enjoy the craft of it enjoy getting better and just keep putting things out in different places and because as sean said everything's changed from where we started so we can't give you the roadmap that worked for us because it that roadmap doesn't even exist um or if you look at like you know chris perkins will talk about writing for dungeon magazine right like that's not a thing that you can do today but what you can do is create great things and put them out where people see it mm -hmm. and that's always important be a part right. of the community be a valuable member uh be involved you know those things always exist the platforms might be different but they always exist they always have value and that dovetails nicely into the next point which is be ready for the opportunities that do come your way and you know when i think of that i think of if someone needs a small amount of work done and they ask for someone to submit something submit your best work be ready to take full advantage of that opportunity by doing the best work it doesn't necessarily need to be work though that fits that be ready for the opportunity, right? If you're writing a blog, it could be someone who has work that they could do, or someone has a partnership that they would be able to join with you to create something cool might be reading your blog. So if you put up a blog, make it the best it can be, because if the right pair of eyes hit it at the right time there, that's an opportunity. Same thing with streaming someone may just happen to find your stream right maybe you have five people in your audience that's that's fine if the one of those five people is someone who has an opportunity for you make sure that that stream that you're putting out is something that a you love but b that other people are going to enjoy when they see it so whatever that opportunity is and you never know when it's going to come that's why you put your best foot forward yeah. every time yeah, and I'll add that a lot of the metrics that we see, such as number of followers or viewership or any of that, are really quite meaningless because they're they're created by a system that just doesn't actually relate to getting work. True. <laughs> and, and what's far more important, as Sean says, is that quality. When you do great quality, you just need one person to see it who offers you an opportunity. Mm -hmm. uh, if instead you're looking at trying to get you know, any number of thousands of Twitter followers, that's really quite meaningless. A lot of people have many thousands and no opportunities. It, it, it's not a, that's not actual math, right? It, it's a fake math that, that the industry <laughs> throws out there or that really the tech solutions throw out at us that are meaningless. And, and what, what's really important is doing the good work and refining your skills. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about 
the skills that go into being a creator of tabletop role-playing game content. Being a, you know, a great creative writer is wonderful. Being a great world builder is great. And you can do lots with those skills. A lot of people get into the industry by garnering skills beyond just those in order to put their best foot forward. So while you know creating your own world is great, if you put that world out there without any art associated with it or in a in a uh, format that does not catch someone's eye because the graphic design is not up to snuff then it's less likely that they will that it will be seen by the people that are going to a be your audience or b be someone who can offer you a new opportunity so if you can get some skill in art even if it's not drawing art, it's having the eye to catch a piece of art that will complement your writing or be a good at graphic design or layout or digital publishing or those types of things. Many people who have wanted to get into the game design field had these skills or gained these skills and were able to, A, make a not if not a living at least some money becoming a graphic designer or an artist and then use that as a step into game design um, sort of through the side door so yeah. if you're good at it use that and if you could be good at it take the time to at least play around and see if that's something that you can uh, leverage as a skill yeah, at the same time, I'll say that, you know, because, um, you know, Tyler says, I've written, I've built an entire world for D&D. Um, there's that always that question in creators of, well, I really love this thing I've built. Mm -hmm. At what point will I be good enough to release it? And that's an endless thing. You'll, you'll never be good enough to have it be perfect <laughs> because mm -hmm. perfection doesn't exist and you'll always keep gaining skills. So one of the answers is, release what you've got now mm -hmm. um, and know that it's not as perfect as you'll want it to be next year or five years from now. Mm -hmm. It is not going to be your only world, right? This world that you've built as much as you may like it today will not be the last thing. If you're going to be a designer, it, it'll be the first thing. And so just get it out there in its imperfect form. As Sean said, you can, you can make it better by paying attention to all that makes for something to be compelling. Mm -hmm. And that's important. But also don't let that not let you get things out there and sure. learn from it. Um, and it doesn't have to be, you don't have to do everything, right? You could release snippets. Like one possibility when Sean's mentioning blogs is if you were to blog about your world bit by bit, that may be a way for you to test how it, it has appeal or stream about it or anything like that. There may be other ways to go about it. The exact way, none of us can predict what works, right? And so it's sort of what do you, how do you want to release it, but be releasing things, right? Uh, and don't save it for some perfect day because the perfect day will never come. True. Um, James Intracasso, he got into this field through his blog, which was, of all things, called World Builder Blog. And mm -hmm. that's what he did. He built his world in a blog form and you know just kept doing it and yeah. persevered i'm sure that you know his first one he had one 
viewer and then right. you know one reader and then it continued 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 and now he's you know a full-time game designer for mcdm so you know that was his path among other things to mm-hmm. to it so yeah absolutely and you know uh, this is teos's note but i'm going to hijack it um studying creative writing is certainly a, a good um move to provide you with skills that will serve you uh but then again so would technical writing um mm-hmm. I always tell my students, good writing is good writing, and good writing will serve you clear, concise, uh, easy to read, but also evocative, you know, all of those things. So when you do go study writing, study it, understand what makes good poetry, good poetry as opposed to good technical writing, as opposed to good, you know, fiction, you know, understand all of those things. Yeah. Yeah, why do we love different classics? Why do different classics evoke things in us? Why are there different writing styles? What do those things mean? And and that's all very valuable. Um, but I would also say, as important as that is, it's also good in in a college program to diversify, especially if you if you have an eye towards RPGs being your goal. And one of the reasons is that RPGs don't pay but so well. So knowing more, and this is true of any profession, but knowing more than just the thing you intend to do is very important, right? So if you're going to be a computer programmer, that's great, but some computer programmers don't earn much. The ones that do tend to have all of these other skills. They know how to manage projects, people, teams. They understand how business works, what business wants, what the audience wants. So there are all these different angles that make you better than just the actual craft of, say, writing. So look for those opportunities in college to take these other sides. They might end up being your primary job while you build up the writing side, uh, or they might just be what lets you run an RPG company, right? Um, But those auxiliary skills are really important to have and shouldn't be overlooked. Don't just focus on the writing part. Yeah, I'll end this with a story about a, I was at a, uh, sort of a convention of software company executives. And they were talking about, you know, different colleges and different programs to lead into a, a, a company, whether it be software or any sort of business company. And at one point, someone said, I would rather hire an MFA, a master of fine arts over an MBA a master of business business administration uh, because the MFA folks generally can communicate much, much better. I, I much more better. Uh, I say as an MFA uh, <laughs> and, and like 90% of the group that was discussing this agreed that that was their experience as well. Uh, so I will just, you know, go MFA folks and, uh, <laughs> and just, you know, one more nod to clear communication being a hugely important skill in any industry that you go into. Very true. So great question. Yes. Great question. Thank you, Tyler, for that question. And with that, we will get into part two of this final episode of 2021. The year that's been the year that will be. (laughs) So 2021. First, I just want to state that, I mean, it's sort of unbelievable this is the end of the year. We, we've somehow gotten ourselves into this world where the year just feels endless, 
-hmm. some of it's the pandemic and remote stuff and, and, and the disruption of our lives, but it just, it's so hard to sort of mentally understand it, which I think is why it's good for me personally to do what we're doing, to just try to pause and think about what was 2021, what things were different, what's going on here with this industry. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, I always like to do this sort of episode and just do it in life in general, right? Just sit down with friends and family and say, what did, did we learn anything this year? What, how do, how do we feel? And obviously the big story of 2021 that touched every part of everyone's life was the pandemic. Um, not only did it change lives, it uh, sadly ended lives and, you know, was, was a horrible thing um, that we had to go through. And, and are going through <laughs> and, and continue to go through. Right. Um, yeah. But we're going to try to focus on, you know, gaming as, as a, uh, as a hobby and as an industry, what happened. And despite the pandemic, D and D continued to grow. And some might even say because of the pause that it put on people's lives in a lot of cases, paused their jobs, paused other hobbies, uh, it it may have actually fed into more of a an audience for D and D, whether watching it being played or starting to play it yourself. So in that sense, D and D continued to grow, as did other role playing games. Um, you know, as we see with the numbers that are coming out, as we saw with news from Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro, and, and even as we saw from you know Kickstarters that several many hit well over the million dollar mark as opposed to you know the previous years uh, all of that continued to just skyrocket yeah and we saw some cycles of recovery at gaming stores um, as people were able to emerge in between waves of the pandemic um, that drove sales up um, and and hobby stores adjusted doing things like you can pick up or we'll send it to your house even depending on, on what your store did um, so they found ways, most of them, to, to survive and, 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 and pick up business in, in spurts. Um, it, it's a really interesting year. And, 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 you know, we'll talk about this more when we look at 2022. But um, it's very interesting to try to think through how, what, what effects this is going to have on an ongoing basis. To have so many people play online so much of an emphasis on online tools. Um, it felt ubiquitous to hear things like Roll20, Discord, Zoom, D&D Beyond, right? These things were just being said constantly by everybody in our space. Yeah. And maybe because of the pandemic or possibly it was already pre-planned, D&D picked up the pace of their releases. Um, early in fifth edition's life, the rate of release was very slow. And while some people complained that they wanted more content more quickly, many believe that that slow release actually helped the game as we yeah. saw sales of you know, secondary products that normally would fall below the, the threshold of the core books actually outpaced the core books uh, in a lot of ways, which is unheard of. So the, this new faster pace of release in 2021 uh, was new and it was welcomed by some and sort of 
questioned by others, but there's no questioning that it happened. Yeah, and and I mean it's 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 sort of hard to think back on a time when it was a book like Sword Coast Adventures Guide and then just the adventure of the year. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. Or that it might even be that plus a salt marsh. And maybe that plus a Theros type release. And now it's just we reached the point where September brought Witchlight as the main adventure, plus Fizzbands, plus Strixhaven. Mm-hmm. All at once. Um all at once. And and they intended to have the rules expansion set, which is a you know reprint of two books and one book uh, for December, but that's gotten pushed off to, to next year due to global shipping and publishing woes, which were another big factor. Um, but then we had the DM screen kit. We had the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft and Candlekeep Mysteries, right? So just right. multiple iterations of everything. And, and it's almost become like we know we're going to get something like a so-and-so's, you know, Atasha's type book, right? We know we're going to get that. We've got Fizzbands this year. We know we're going to have a Magic the Gathering book. We know we're going to have a main book. And then we're going to have a bunch of other stuff too, in addition to dice and kits and so on. But that it's a lot. And, and what it means, to speak to what you said earlier, it means that you can reach more audiences because maybe I was never going to buy this type of product, but now because there's also this other one, I continue to be an, an audience member. Um, but it also means that when we're trying to talk about something like Witchlight, it gets drowned out mm-hmm. and we almost don't know what to talk about as a hobby. Like when Tomb of Annihilation came out, it was an iconic thing that everybody was talking about that mood, that theme. And I mean, Witchlight is so good <laughs> and, yeah. and it's, it gets lost, right? Because we're also talking about Strixhaven. We're also talking about Fizzbands and we're still talking about, you know, rhyme or other things that have come before it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. With Candlekeep Mysteries and Van Richten's Guide that came out, you, yeah. you can't run campaigns in all of those settings using all of those books uh, all at once. So it, yeah. it does start to water down the uh, sort of the psyche of your fan base. Split, yeah. splintering out into different areas. And as long as your fan base is large enough to support that, that's great. Yeah. Uh, but if it's not, then that's when you start to see declining sales. So mm-hmm. um, the question for 2022 will be, what's that pace going to look like going forward? And we'll, we'll find out. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see whether the pace picks up, right? Yeah. Um, and especially given, and I mean, we have this later in our notes here, but D&D announced that there's going to be a new version of the game by 2024 mm-hmm. and whatever that 5.5, whatever it ends up being called, whatever it's going to look like often when these kinds of things have happened, releases have slowed before it because the team has to focus on making it mm-hmm. and they can't do the current things, but they've been using enough freelancers and so on that maybe they won't slow down, right? Maybe we'll keep yeah. going at a heavy pace through this year and through next. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that brings us to another bit of news that we've covered quite frequently was the amazing number of tabletop role-playing game design jobs that have opened up, not only at Wizards of the Coast, but at smaller firms uh, all all around the world. And we've started to see salary information posted, shared by employees, more discussion of this, uh, this industry as a business 
and what it could be and what it is. And, you know, it's becoming more mainstream uh, as a game, but also as a topic of conversation and as a place to hopefully get a job if you're so inclined. And the more that those jobs are transparent, the, the fewer curtains that we have, you know, veiling us from what's actually going on in industry, the better an industry we will have. Mm-hmm. You, you want people to understand what it's like to be in this hobby and, and, and to be at one job, but know what it would be like to be at another, though, though that will strengthen, uh, strengthen us and give mm-hmm. us more opportunities. So I'm really, this is one of the things that I'm super happy about is seeing some of the jobs that are being shared, some of the jobs that are being created, um, and, and, and the feedback loop that comes from when people post a job, but it has say a very low salary mm-hmm. and people say, wait, wait a minute, this job's a lot of work. Right. Uh, that's an important feedback loop back to that company. Yeah. And, you know, going hand in glove with this discussion is the union issue that Paizo's union has, um, has been formed and it does exactly what we're talking about, right? It strengthens the, the knowledge base of the industry. It puts the employees more in touch with, um, their, their own fates, as well as understanding the business side of things to, um, to make their work, hopefully, uh, make more sense to them. And we've seen cases where people who have spoken up against companies saying, Hey, we want to see you do better. End up then writing a book for that company. Right. <laughs> right. Sure. Um, and, and, and where someone can on their blog say, I didn't like my freelance experience. And rather than being hit with a, Hey, you broke the terms of your NDA, which is an entirely possible occurrence mm-hmm. that may have happened in previous years that instead the company has maybe not an official level, but sort of unofficially ends up apologizing and then officially saying, Hey, we're going to look at, you know, doing this better down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty remarkable. It, it may not seem as such, but it, but it is a, a, perhaps an empowerment of not just employee, but also freelancer that may mm-hmm. carry on into the future, which is important because in the past it's been, uh, a real lack of information for freelancers where they just thought, well, I, I guess this is what I have to get paid. Right. And, and so seeing things like the, the, the story of the Paizo freelancers who separate from the union event were talking amongst each other on discord because of the pandemic and suddenly sharing common stories and realizing, wow, we all face the same difficulties. It wasn't just me. Right. And boy, it really, this should change. Like this isn't good, right? Let's, let's get to a healthy spot. And then the unions rising up at the same time and they joined forces. And that was a very remarkable event. Yeah. And I think that's something, I think we we're wrapping all of this up into this sort of the empowerment of the audience, the empowerment of, of the labor, not to get all Marxist uh, here, but just, you know, a greater understanding and a strengthening of the people that are supporting the industry. Yeah. As opposed to just following blindly the people that are doing the creating uh, and and the publishing. So, you know, all of this, the, the DMs guild giving smaller publishers a, a vehicle to, to create um, all of this stuff has been a hallmark of 2021. Uh, 
we had some people on Twitter who also sent in their thoughts on 2021. Uh, Alan Tucker via Twitter said uh, there's more hesitancy as it seems we can't just shake this pandemic. Uh, inclusivity and creator pay rates were important topics. Absolutely. Yeah, that goes, it goes exactly what we, to what we were talking about. Um, what did Matthew have to say here? So Matthew Petard said, do you think it's inevitable that some RPG creator companies are going to get into NFTs and blockchain? And because they're not public companies, we will never find out. And that's an interesting question. You know, we've talked about the sort of blockchain issues in the past. I'm not going to get into the, the nitty details of those again. Check out our previous episode to, to catch up on that. Um, but I think that small companies probably won't get into this because there's very little gain. I think that in general, if a small company wanted to say something like, hey, own this picture of, you know, this famous NPC, um, the best way to do that is to offer the original art, right? Like that, that's the way to raise the money and do it. Um, that that always ex has existed and it, it's always attractive. I would love to win really cool art and hang it on my wall. Um, the NFT thing, is, it's more of a scam type situation and you have to be operating at a larger scale. So where it's most likely to come up is with big companies that have a lot of executives where they want to be on the latest flashy buzzword as a sign of potential to other industry uh, members, because that's how that often works. And so that's where, you know, Hasbro has said they'll look at NFTs and that's probably just buzzword speak. And we'll hope that it doesn't go forward, but we'll have to see what they do because all types of groups have done this, right? Weezer, the band, essentially released digital collectibles because it sounded cool and they thought this was a way to make money, right? And so mm -hmm. a lot of people do that, <laughs> even people that we like. Yeah, and and it, this comes down to the empowerment issue. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as as the climate change problems occur and we learn more about what these NFTs and what blockchain d does, uh, then we'll we'll see what the what the social implications are of that. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's something that's so new that we I can't talk about it intelligently, at least uh, about what it's going to look like going forward. And we had uh, Bianca Bickford on Twitter say paid GMing is growing uh, because of two reasons: five E mastery and interest in indie games. We're running out of GMs. Good or bad, that will lead to more paid GMing in 2022. Uh, for example, I want to play Vampire the Masquerade, but I can't locally, so I'll find a paid game online. Absolutely true. We saw uh, Bald Man Games and Wizards of the Coast doing a monthly uh, online game day where you can play all sorts of adventures and the tickets that you're paying um, some of or most of or all of the money go to the DMs. Uh, mm -hmm. So paid DMing is becoming more and more uh, A, popular, and B, acceptable. Um, we're seeing less people lose their proverbial feces over someone getting paid to DM, uh, which is yeah. good, right? If you have a skill and that skill is valuable to others, then why not get paid for it? So... Uh, good on that and i'm sure we will see hopefully see more of that in the future yeah let's talk about that future mm -hmm. so let's talk 2022 what are we thinking about as we look forward to this new year well so I, I think, think yeah go ahead 
Well, we're probably saying the same thing, which is you have to start with the question of what is the pandemic going to do, right? And right. Is it is 22 going to be all pandemic? It might be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if it's just, I mean, it's clearly going to be around at least for the first quarter. Uh, it's hard to envision it going away even before the first half. So it's going to continue to influence those changes we talked about before. Online play, um, impacts on stores, right? Impacts on conventions. Yeah. I mean, when, when the pandemic first hit, and yeah, I thought, okay, this is it for me as a freelancer. Um, I'm done because nobody's going to spend money on games. And sure enough, it was the opposite. Um, <laughs> spending went up on games because people had still had the their the means to earn money, but they didn't have as much to spend it on. Mm-hmm. So games was where it went, and that could totally reverse itself going forward could be more of the same. Um, A lot of the science behind it is going to tell us how things are going to work, but um, we have some hope, I think, that not only will gaming continue to grow, but that we will be able to go out into public again at some point in 2022 with at least less trepidation uh, and less chance of really hurting people uh, and be able to socialize. Yeah. And it's hard because conventions haven't been very transparent. I mean, it's not in their interest to say, hey, here, you know, I'm Gen Con. Here's how many people caught the pandemic, right? And so it's only through second hand that you hear, hey, you know, these Gen Con judges that got uh, the pandemic, or there was a recent convention where people spoke up and said, uh, a smaller convention, people said, yeah, I, I, I have COVID. Um, but the, the conventions that required masks, required vaccination, and had very strict policies uh, seemed to fare better, right? Mm-hmm. Seemed to have fewer, they, 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 they did what, exactly what science tells us. They, they didn't have uh, cases that were being talked about. And so we may see that that kind of behavior will continue to happen and the conventions that do the right things will continue to grow and do well the way, say, Game Holcon did, right, where it had... Mm-hmm all of those requirements, very strict. I didn't see a single person with their mask below their nose, right? I mean, that, that kind of behavior led to a safe environment where people felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it will be interesting to see, you know, if conventions make a comeback, if in-store gaming can make a comeback, uh, assuming that that is what the the mutation of this uh, virus allows. Yeah. And another thing we'll be keeping an eye on is something that we forgot to mention up top, but um, how D and D in the public entertainment sphere has continued to make its presence known and grow, and that was without really the movie coming out, without any of the Netflix series coming out. Uh, it just sort of organically grew, becoming uh, more popular as a you know, as streaming, Critical Role, uh, all of those things on your network television getting. Uh, into the the act and now in 2022 we may start to see some of the fruits of those labors of a netflix series or other uh not the movie itself yet but right uh some of those so we'll see I mean, if that that public knowledge of D continues to grow i mean early next year you know just 
I forget what month it is, but it's early that we get the uh, Critical Role animated series on Amazon. Yep. Right. And that could be enormous to have this new audience uh, mm -hmm. gain awareness through seeing this. And so it'll be very interesting to see how the news captures that, right? How, how, do, how does the greater public react to that? We're already seeing a situation where, you know, fan, uh, actors who are on Star Trek or Game of Thrones or whatever are, are, are glad to show up and play D&D, &D, right? Jack Black has now played D&D &D twice uh, publicly, right? Seems to really enjoy it. So, you know, we may see more and more of this happen, which just spreads that word out there. And especially when you have actors who are just glad to say, oh, here's this thing. And not just actors. We have NFL stars, right? Mm -hmm. Football stars, right. pro players who score touchdowns who are saying, I love my D and D campaign, right? Or I love watching critical role. And yeah. that is huge when you have that out there, right. And in, in all of the social media platforms that they're willing to, it's, it's not a thing you're holding back on. You're proud yeah. of it. Yep. So that will be an interesting thing to keep an eye on and just to see if there's any sort of blowback, uh, right. Yeah. Because as soon as something becomes popular, the, the media is always looking to then knock it down. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you know, we always have to be vigilant about that sort of blowback, uh, get, getting back into the, the old dark days of the 80s and early 90s, <laughs> um, which we, and even we'll, even we'll fans. I mean, we've yeah. seen this already when, when we have like the, the huge Kickstarter for Avatar The Last Airbender, where you have these people start saying, oh, that's too, you know, they, they sort of start tearing it apart because it's, a huge it's Kickstarter yeah. and they never would have spoken up against it had it just raised a couple hundred thousand. Right. And right. so that, that can happen, not just at the D and D level, but at any level where if a company does well, fans start to try to pick it apart, unfortunately. Yeah. And so we'll see how that, that also happens as successes happen next year. To what extent can fans change their way and their attitude and be a little more appreciative of what's happening and, and, and how to, you know, less gatekeeping, more, I love that you're succeeding, you know, yes. And right. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and speaking of that Kickstarter is going to be an interesting topic to keep an eye on in 2022, because as we mentioned earlier, Kickstarter was a business hub for third party publishers of not only D and D products, but many games and the success that businesses and individuals had using Kickstarter uh, was a big part of this growth of the industry. And now that Kickstarter has made itself more controversial by talking about blockchain, um, are they going to shoot themselves in the foot and thereby shoot the industry in the foot as people scramble to find a different way to fund their projects apart from Kickstarter? Yeah, I mean, Kickstarter is the place where people are and it works. It, it does exactly what you want the platform to do. Other crowdfunding platforms either don't have the built-in audience or don't have the reliability that a creator would like to have. That's not to say they can't build it. I don't know that Kickstarter has true special sauce the way, say, YouTube has a special sauce of how it serves up your your 
your videos of what it recommends to you that really drives things for creators. I don't know that Kickstarter does that, but there's clearly a, 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 there's a, there's not a transparency there that you can, you can see, but we're hearing a lot of people, uh, fans, companies saying, I'm either not going to do anything with Kickstarter or I'm on hold until I see what Kickstarter does. Or even they'll say, I'm launching on Kickstarter because I have to, because I've already got all my plans lined up. I must, I, it's too hard for me to pull back, but I'm not happy about this. And when that many people are speaking negatively about what you intend to do, and you're being so bad about responding to it, people begin to look at all the other options. And you're seeing a lot of that where people are talking about, well, what can I do with Indiegogo? Or what can I do with this other, you know, game hub place? Like, what can I do to, to fund my games? Um, and so I, th I think we're going to see more and more of that where people will, will turn to other platforms and experiment with other platforms, especially if Kickstarter really sticks to the, the plans they've announced. Yeah. And that's going to be interesting. Like, is that good? It, will it, will it be, cause it's often good to not just have a single place. Mm-hmm. Right. And if at the end of the day, we're all just getting an email saying, Hey, check out this project, then maybe we don't care where it is. Uh, and maybe it's good because then money goes to other places and other places become robust mm -hmm. and, and that's good. You know, I think what it shows is Kickstarter seems to not like being involved in gaming. They, they want to be bigger than that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so it shows them not caring about us. So right. maybe an entity that does care about us, that's happy to just be in gaming would be better for the industry, for our sure. hobby. Yeah. So that's something to, we will be keeping an eye on, not only as commenters on the industry, but people who have had products on Kickstarter and uh, are keeping an eye on how that's going to work out. Um, another thing we'll keep an eye on, as we mentioned earlier, is you know, how will conventions continue to change, but more so how will the game be played by the multitude of gamers going forward. You know, conventions are a big and powerful draw for gamers to interact with each other. Uh, so are game stores. So is online play. So is you name it. Um, and so we want to know, how do you plan to play? Do you plan yeah. to go to conventions if they open or if they open, but with all the continued um, requirements, have you gone online and will you stay online now that you've gone there? Have you found it was a better experience than you originally thought? Uh, you know, all of mm -hmm. those questions will be interesting to see the answer to as the situation that we're in changes. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of companies would actually like it if people played online more because publishing and shipping are so challenging right. that if things could be increasingly digital, that would be easier on them. So it's a, a potential win if it were to really strongly go in that direction. True. True. Uh, some sort of larger scale business questions that we're keeping an eye on are how does wizards of the coast handle this new emphasis that was given to it by Hasbro. So Hasbro saw the success that Wizards of the Coast has had with D&D and with Magic and said, we're going to start acting more like them and they're going to lead us into this <laughs> great new future. Uh, that's a lot of responsibility that empowers a lot of 
upper level management folks to make decisions. And that's always scary. <laughs> Very. Uh, so it will be, uh, it will be something to watch not only through Wizards of the Coast products, but also through Hasbro products. And I might even throw another one in here. I'm not sure this is, I may be overstating this, but we have seen a few shakeups around people who are clearly important to the D and D team leaving. Mm -hmm. um, people who, you know, spoke all the time on dragon talk or headed up witch light from inside, right? Things like that. They were clearly prominent and then they leave. And at, at a time when the company is trying to grow the D and D staff. So what does that indicate? And if, if there is a problem there, will D and D be able to address it mm -hmm. and make for a healthier team? where everybody is excited by the work they do, where they see paths to advance, where they feel good about how they're working together. Um, both new and existing employees are mm -hmm. sort of feeling good that I think that may even, that may be a question as well, especially as they're trying to handle you know, our next topic, which is D and D 5.5. Yeah. So yeah, that's that leads perfectly into that question because if they if it's a 2024 release for this new version 5e compatible but different maybe perhaps mm -hmm. uh that means they're working on it now and the people who are at the desks punching the keys that are creating these rules have to answer to the higher level administration who also have goals, who also have possibly requirements of what this new edition is going to do in terms of sales, in terms of revenue, in terms of how it affects the community that is building up in terms of entertainment of the game, right? Yeah. So th that there can be a lot of tension there. Uh, and it will be interesting to see how that tension between the actual creators of the game and the people who are steering the larger ship um, can coexist in the creation of this new uh, version. Yeah, and that's fascinating for me because, you know, you and I have both worked in these types of situations before with these kinds of sizes of companies and these kinds of situations with these kinds of boards and managers and executives. Um, I've worked with them as contractor. I've also twice been fired for saying to the executives, this is not the right way forward or here are the problems with this approach. And it's very easy for companies to want to just all say yes to each other. And then nobody can fail because they all said yes. So everybody bears equal responsibility. Uh, but, but in a situation where many, you know, at least several people could have said, I don't know about that. Right. And I've always been that kind of person that when I, and I'm not a negative person and you know this, but, but I will say it when it smells, <laughs> when it yeah. stinks, I will call it out sure. and, and not everybody can handle that. Right. There are companies that, that don't want to live in that kind of reality. Uh, and that can happen between the people who are doing the everyday work and understand the products and see it and know why it succeeds. And then a manager group that will say, what if we do it this way? What if we do it this other way? What if we change it or do more of it? Or, you know, and, and, and so having that dialogue where there really can be good dialogue between those different levels in a company, 
it's 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 important for for long term success, but it's but it's a hard thing to achieve, and it takes only certain type of companies can really pull that off. Yeah, and sort of a subset of that is the question of the open gaming license and the question of partnerships between Wizards of the Coast and other companies that Oof. create content. Uh, the open gaming license is the reason that many companies can hire full-time people, including the company that I work at. Yeah. And if that open gaming license is somehow squashed or is changed in a way that makes it impossible for companies to actually use it, then what happens to the industry? Sometimes yeah. exec executives will see the amount of money that other people are making off this license and say, we could be getting that money without really yeah. understanding that you really could, can't. Um, and it may be helping you more than uh, you think it is because right. it's pushing people back to your game in the long run. Uh, but sometimes an executive will not understand things. And right. that's when you get things like the fourth edition uh, whatever it was called, it's not an open game yeah. license, but you know, it, it, it well, just and fizzled. I would argue that the third edition OGL was designed to do a certain thing right? that was problematic to the company. It was mm -hmm. both great in that you had lots of third parties that were working in your space and making it big, but you also were really getting nothing for that financially right. to the point where it was harmful. And you were even building up your competitors in a way that was harmful. And so th there was a reason to want to tweak it. The yeah. answer wasn't necessarily do nothing, which was what fourth was right you know, nothing. And so they, they killed all of it. Uh, it was too far, right? Fifth edition seems to have been a really sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, the guild energy is huge and it's right. a revenue source. It may not be huge for wizards, right. but it's a revenue source, right? They're making a part of that. Yep. Uh, and even just the plain OGL side that isn't the guild also seems to bring uh, greater strength to the D and D brand it seems to be a positive economic force. Mm -hmm. But as you said, it's very easy for that person to look at the, the manager type level to look at it and go, wait, who's getting what cut of things using our name? Right. What if we took that? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's, it is, uh, and it, it could be a valid argument in some cases. Uh, in some cases, it's the resources that you would have to spend to get that money yeah. are not worth it for you. Uh, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see uh, that and how partnerships like with D&D Beyond right. and with Roll20 and all of those avenues of revenue for other companies and you know, goodwill with with the industry, um, how that is changed by the plans of Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro on things like a new tabletop or digital right. tools or all of that. Uh, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Times. And and D and D's track record on having their own digital tools. Uh, has been very poor. Even partnering on things, you know, has had big issues. Um, the, the real, the only success you can sort of look at is what really is there now through partnerships. Mm -hmm. So tweaking with that, we'll see how that goes. I mean, they're, they're clearly building an enormous digital group that is largely charged with video games, but could also be responsible for this sort of work. Um, and it sure feels like D&D is angling towards taking over some of these partnerships. 
but will they reverse that? You know, will it, will it be harmful if they go one way or the other way? Well, it'll be fascinating to see. Yeah. So anything else that you want to discuss for 2022, Teos? You know, continuing the rise of the, the, the empowering of freelancers and employees, I think that'll be interesting to see. It, it's been a slow pickup of people speaking about salaries and pay and things like that. And I think that's this is all going to continue to be a discussion point and will continue to be better for the industry. Yeah. Excellent. And, you know, personally, I want to wish everyone and you, Teos, uh, a very, very happy 2022, safe and healthy and productive and peaceful. Yeah. Amen, Sean. I mean, I, I, same. Thank you. And, and, and to all our listeners, thanks for all your support this year for every time you sent us a tweet or retweeted the podcast, supporting us on Patreon, um, interacting with us that it's been meant a lot, you know, coming to see us at conventions. Um, it, we we're greatly appreciative of that. I'm appreciative of, of, of this whole year. The podcast has been super fun to do. So thank you, Sean. Yeah, thank great. you for, uh, thank you for adding your expertise and keeping <laughs> my voice from completely <laughs> fizzling out. Oh, and all yeah. our guests, right. We had some amazing guests oh. this year too. Absolutely. So thank you to, to everyone who has supported us in any way, shape or form. And, you know, thank you for, to our patrons specifically. Uh, you can become a patron if you are so inclined in the new year by going to patreon.com slash MMP. Teos, where can people find you and support your work? Uh, you can find my blog. I've been talking about patrons and uh, that is on alphastream.org. You can follow me on Twitter at AlphaStream, and around the new year, I should have some new info uh, on where you can follow me. So that'll Ooh, be fun. I'm looking forward to that. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at Sean Merwin, or you can follow the podcast at Mastering DND. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production. So, Teos. 2021 behind us, 2022 in front of us. So, what are we going to do now? We're going to gather around the eldritch flame and watch as the wizened old woman looks into her crystal ball and tells us, here, here is the future. And then kill her and take the crystal ball because it's worth seeing. <laughs> That's exactly what our players would do this for. Oh, totally. <laughs>